This is the Thorn Podcast, the show that navigates the complex world of wellness and explores the latest science behind diet, supplements, and lifestyle approaches to good health. I'm Dr. Robert Roundtree, Chief Medical Advisor at Thorne and Functional Medicine Doctor. As a reminder, the recommendations made in this podcast are the recommendations of the individuals who express them and not the recommendations of Thorne. Statements in this podcast have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. Any products mentioned are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Thorn Podcast. Today, I'll be continuing my conversation with Dr. Mark Holthouse on hormone health. If you missed that first episode, be sure to go back in your feed to learn more about Mark and his practice as we lay the groundwork surrounding hormone health. So let's pick up the conversation as we dive into some questions from our listeners. The first question this week comes from a listener who asks, Besides estrogen and testosterone, are there hormones that males should worry about more than females and vice versa? Is, it, is estrogen and testosterone the whole story, Mark, or are there other hormones? Yes, there are. And estrogen is important in, in men, just like it is obviously in women. Uh, estrogen has some unique things that it really does better than other hormones in men. Uh, in particular, it's important for maintaining bone density. A lot of the guys that I see that have a lot of aromatase enzyme activity that's trying to convert or steal their testosterone to make extra estrogen, and this is happening naturally sometimes when they have a little more girth around the midsection because that enzyme is upregulated, or in just people that are inflamed. We know inflammation upregulates that. Extra insulin upregulates that enzyme. So many of these gentlemen come to me with uh, a prescription that actually inhibits that enzyme. And that's great. It inhibits it's, aromatase. It, it inhibits aromatase. And so Arimidex or something like that. Or exactly, yeah, the anastrozole generic. and. What, what the practitioners that they're seeing are trying to do is just prevent that conversion from testosterone to excessive estrogen. And sometimes they get a little overzealous with the dosing of that prescription or they don't follow the estrogen and they can actually suppress the estrogen so low, they become osteoporotic. And we'll check bone densities on these guys. And even though they're on really healthy levels of testosterone, uh, depending on what their DHEA hormone is doing, which we'll talk about here in a minute, and their estrogen, you can, you can cause harm. And so we find that, you know, it's like everything in medicine, there's this dance. And, you know, if a little is good, a lot might not be better always. Yeah, so estrogen in men, that's a common one. We deal with something called DHEA, which is something made by the cortex of the adrenal gland in men and women. And we know that it's got specific and independent receptors all over the body, just like we have for estrogen and testosterone and, and progesterone. Uh, it has its own independent risk factors like extra heart disease problems when it's low, independently of 
testosterone and estrogen levels. Um, very important. We used to call it the fountain of youth hormone. I, I kind of look at, at it as the, the yin and the yang relationship between cortisol, cortisol being the yang, the uh, thing that really is uh, meant to be used short term. It can, in a long term situation, like with long term unrelenting stress become quite destructive and tears us down. We lose muscle, we gain body fat and things like this. Whereas DHEA also coming from the adrenal cortex, as does cortisol, does kind of all the opposite. It's, it's kind of this Zen building, what we call anabolic hormone. And it acts very similar to testosterone and things like growth hormone. Growth hormone is almost a topic in and of itself, especially in the context of, of a lot of guys uh, coming in and asking about human growth hormone supplementation, um, there's, there's some really good data that says, unless you've got a documented deficiency, you're low in growth hormone, there's not data that I have seen that shows you're going to get benefit on body composition or function dosing growth hormone if, if you don't have a documented deficiency. And this has been a real big area of controversy for some of the, the guys that will come in. And I, I just show them the data. I also show them the data on the side effects of growth hormone, which can be daunting, uh, cancer being one cancer of them. Cancer growth, yep. Exactly. Would you say that the, the anti-aging clinics that all used to promote growth hormone really heavily, that many of them have backed off on that? Absolutely. And, and where I saw a lot of it too was with the dietary weight loss clinics with not just the HGH and, and caloric restriction, but they were kind of touting these anabolic protocols along with, especially in men, falling out of favor. And the same thing is really true with women and testosterone replacement. I think it's great if you're assessing someone and finding that they're low and they've got symptoms that match the lab to get them into the normal range. But now we've got all this really great data that is showing, my goodness, there's a huge uptick in the incidence of new onset type 2 diabetes in women supplementing with testosterone. Huh. There's also problems with more breast cancer in women substituting or uh, replacing with. So I'm always is getting that in higher doses or uh, I'm really curious about that. Is that, you know, we the, typically use like one to three milligrams of testosterone. So is that happening at those dose levels? Not so much. It's, it's usually the folks that are coming in on something four, five, six milligrams per day in uh, a the female side. Physiologic levels. There's, there's super physiologic or they've had some pellets placed, which, which, you know, once they're in, they're in. And until things kind of calm down, they can have this super physiologic levels that they'll see. And it could be sustained for a few months. And these are the ones that, you know, not only do they have bleeding and vaginal bleeding problems that, that we have to kind of um, work with that mess that can be created, but then we've see, we see their fasting sugars climbing, we see their insulin resistance becoming more of an issue in addition to their breast cancer risk going up. So I don't get nervous when I've got documentation that they were low, below reference ranges in this case with symptoms. And we've got them on reasonable doses and we're monitoring what we're doing uh, either in the serum or with the dried urine testing. 
So be careful with replacement is what you're saying. You know, be do it in a thoughtful, meticulous kind of way. Absolutely. Yeah. Knowing, knowing that there are these side effects with other diseases that you can inadvertently trigger if you push too hard. Okay. And in a minute, uh, I see we have some questions about what to do to make sure that if you're taking hormones, you're doing it safely. So right. uh, we'll, we'll circle back around on that. Meanwhile, okay. uh, we have a listener that wants to know, uh, how can I tell if my hormones are imbalanced? Yeah. You, you mentioned, uh, you know, estrogen dominant. What is that yeah. really? Dom what's the estrogen dominating over? <laughs> yeah. Yes, that's a great question. And we're taught in this type of medicine to recognize patterns. And it, it turns out that it works. And, and the more experience you get with it, the more folks that you see with these recurring groups of patterns, you, you start to get more confident about treatment ideas. So you'll often see this pattern. We talked about the premenopausal 30-year-old who has, ever since they started having periods, had very heavy, painful periods, passing large clots. You know, sometimes they've got associated endometriosis and really bad pelvic pain just up to the period. They have problems sometimes with night pain, which excruciating ovarian cyst pain. And they, they'll know this because they've gone to the ER at 2 a.m., which is when these things usually occur. And they've got an ultrasound and some astute ER doc behind the ultrasound report has said, oh, by the way, you've got a cyst there. Um, so you hear these diagnoses, these histories from these women. And oh, by the way, I've got, you know, PMS that's really bad. And for the week before my period, uh, my husband and I, you know, just have this kind of understanding, you know, and, and, and it's amazing when you see this pattern, you can come in and you can start talking about how progesterone and estrogen have this dance that they play mm -hmm. and they'll say well estrogen dominance does that say something about me as an alpha female what are you trying yeah, to say yeah, yeah, yeah. and i say no it has nothing to do with your personality it's and in fact it really doesn't have much to do with your absolute estrogen levels it has to do with the dance the balance and whatever it is that's causing you to retain excess estrogen or make more relative to progesterone, that's what we've got to get at. And it's often these microbiome problems. It's often an issue with the detoxification of estrogen in the gut, but it can also be problems with a bunch of Motrin you're taking for your painful periods, causing you to leak things across your bowel wall that are now directly raising inflammation markers in your bloodstream that go to the ovary and to the testicle and shut off the production of progesterone and testosterone specifically. So we talk about excess estrogen. We talk about trouble getting rid of it in the level of the gut, especially with folks that are constipated. Some of these really easy things to kind of go after. But we also talk about how the alternative dance partner, the progesterone and testosterone can get shut down by anything that's causing, we have a fancy term for it called metabolic endotoxemia, which just means your blood is seeing a, a, an influx of inflammatory mediators or messengers, if you will, that are being dumped into the blood for a number of reasons. So 
when you come in with these symptoms using these premenopausal gals as an example, recognize the pattern, and you can kind of reverse engineer what might have gotten them into that situation. So this, uh, an interesting thing to me about metabolic endotoxemia is that we're basically talking about the same physiology that's involved in toxic shock syndrome. Exactly. Right? It's the same thing. It's just much, much less severe. It's very, so it's very low level toxic shock syndrome. Exactly. You know, that was caused by tampons, which would cause certain bacteria to accumulate and, you know, cause a severe life-threatening inflammatory reaction. But on the spectrum, right, the lower end of the spectrum, you have this condition that also causes inflammation and obesity and predisposes to to metabolic syndrome, diabetes, et cetera. But I would say not many of our mainstream colleagues even know about it. No, it, it's always a surprise when I talk about this to my um, urology guys here locally that do a lot of hormone work. They're completely caught off by that. It's interesting, I think, uh, how a lot of these start at mucosal surfaces, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You bring up toxic so- uh, shock syndrome, which is a, a vaginal mucosal interface. Uh, we've been talking about the gut mucosal surface, and then you've got, you know, the whole oral systemic problem with periodontal disease in the mouth and that mucosal surface. It's almost like wherever there's a membrane or a, an interface between the environment, whether it's the gut getting across into the, the, the lymphatics and, and the portal circulation or the blood-brain barrier separating the blood from the brain, kind of these sacred spaces, where if there's derailment, these inflammatory consequences follow. You put in the work training at the gym, on the court, at the track, pushing your body to the limit. Now maximize those results and unlock your inner champion with Thorne's high performance sports nutrition line. With pre-built fitness bundles like Thorne's training bundle, you can jumpstart your training and fitness routines and take your performance to the next level. Thorne offers the most comprehensive line of NSF certified for sport products on the market, making Thorne the unquestioned leader in quality and innovation in sports nutrition. Visit thorne.com to learn more. That's T-H-O-R-N-E.com. We have several questions that I think I can roll into one because all the questions have to do with, well, what do I do if I have a hormonal imbalance, right? How do I bring it back into, into balance again? One question was, well, does omega-3 fatty acids, the you know, marine lipids, long-chain polyunsaturated marine lipids, do they help or are there herbs that help? So really, that's, that's what everybody wants to know. Okay, I've got this problem. I have estrogen dominance, what do I do? Or I have what appears to be testosterone deficiency other than taking hormones, what do you do? What, you know, exactly. what approaches do you take? So for the, since we've been really on this um, 
uh, estrogen dominance discussion, what we'll often do is we'll work on making sure they're having regular bowel movements mm. so that they're getting rid of the estrogen mm. that the liver so diligently metabolizes. Uh, if it just sits there, it gets reabsorbed. It's kind of a dirty trick nature plays and the liver has to re-detoxify this stuff over and over again. So there's bacteria that make enzymes that make this possible. And so we, we have to balance the critters, who's there? And, and so the constipation being dealt with that. So that's why we talk so much about fiber. Uh, fiber can, can have multiple mechanisms in this discussion. Uh, the, the being regular is just one elementary part of it. We talk also about specific plants and botanicals, things that act like progesterone, progesterone agonists, that can reestablish the dance, the balance between estrogen and progesterone, things like chase tree berry, mm -hmm. vitex agnus like castus, that. which is a, a beautiful way to, without using a hormone, help reestablish this balance. We also use black cohosh for the same reason. Uh, both of these are very safe for most people. And uh, we'll combine that with managing stress. Hey, let's make sure that your mother hormone, if you will, the upstream hormone that makes all this stuff is really set up for success to go down the sex steroid production pathway instead of cortisol and stress. So we do things like telling people to do gratitude journaling and mindfulness meditation and laughing and singing and humming and um, all kinds of things that we know elevate what's called the vagus nerve. That's kind of that opposite effect of cortisol and stress and living in that fight or flight world. That ends up having a huge part to play with hormone balance. So we use botanicals, we use what we know about gut health, and we use mind-body medicine as a whole quiver, if you will, of things to try against these imbalances. And we do the same thing for men. You know, if they come in with testosterone symptoms, we check their lab and indeed, hey, you're low. We'll use both these symptoms and signs corroborating the lab because there's a lot of guys with really funky labs that have no symptoms. And that's a topic for another day, but we don't necessarily just jump on to treating all of them. With the guys, we'll address the sleep. We know that people that get less than five hours of sleep for a week or more have as much as a 15% drop in their T levels. Mm -hmm. Who knew? I'm glad I didn't know that, Bob, in residency. Um, <laughs> we, we slept very little. And, you know, getting rid of the insulin resistance. So we'll focus on the pre-diabetes. We'll get them on intermittent fasting, doing some of these kinds of things lowering insulin, lowering aromatase, lowering inflammation has the effect of raising natural testosterone. Mm -hmm. and, and with the guys, we know that if we don't shore up the gut, leaky gut, as we call it, they will have these inflammatory mediators that directly tell the gonad, the testy, hey, shut down the process, don't make any more tea. And so it becomes such a, a, a broad discussion beyond just Here's a needle and here's the vial twice a week, stick yourself. And sometimes we do that when we need to as well. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I'm thrilled that you talk about starting with the gut. And I'm sure a lot of men and women that come in with a hormonal problem are going to be a little taken aback when you say, 
yeah, it's not your testes I'm concerned about, you know. <laughs> it's not your ovaries I'm concerned about. It's your intestines. To that end, I'm wondering, do you ever use calcium deglucurate as part of your intervention? And maybe Absolutely. if you do, explain to our listeners why what that is and why you do that. Yeah, uh, we use it all the time. We had a, a little study time with the providers here, in fact, at noon yesterday on calcium deglucurate. Uh, calcium deglucurate is a great little product that you take kind of spread out throughout the day that you know, people mistakenly think it's a calcium supplement. And I'm like, well, it's got calcium in it, but that's not right. why I'm giving it to you. The way that we get rid of these sex steroid hormones from the liver, we've got a couple of phases of detoxification. The second of which uses a, a very fancy handle called conjugation. And part of conjugation has to do with escorting these chemicals, steroids in this discussion, out from the bile, the liver, into the small intestine, where we literally poop the stuff out, if we're doing it correctly. Now, if we've got an imbalance of certain gram-negative bacteria that like to make an excessive amount of an enzyme that messes with this conjugation, we tend to reabsorb estrogen and things like that back into the liver from the gut. And so what calcium deglucurate does is it, it tends to hijack that system from occurring so we can actually get rid of the estrogen instead of holding on to it and reprocessing it through the liver. So one thing I might point out is that we're not just talking about estrogens made in the body. We're talking about all these xenoestrogens, which means foreign, the xeno is foreign, the xeno estrogens that we're all swimming in from pesticides and phthalates leaching from personal care products and plastics and so we're we're living in an estrogen dominant environment and we're exposed to this stuff all the time so you know we we're almost all kind of stuck with that scenario unless we do something about it yeah, yeah, these pesticides, it's a dirty trick chemically and that they, they mimic estrogen. And that's, that can wreak all kinds of havoc with men and women. You know, men can have an estrogen dominance as well, manifests a little differently. So that kind of brings me to a, a last question is, um, what's the role of broccoli and <laughs> brassica vegetables and that whole group, the Brussels sprouts and cabbage and what's in those vegetables that might help with estrogen metabolism and do you use only foods or do you use supplements to accomplish yeah that? great great question we've talked a lot about how to eliminate and detoxify there are ways to kind of stack the deck botanically with extracts in therapeutic doses that can actually help the enzymes that determine which way estrogen goes to go down more favorable pathways versus things that can lead to things like breast cancer. And so glucoraphidin and sulfurophanes, we have all these fancy names that we give to these things that are derived from broccoli seed. Uh, come to find out, you'd have to eat a whole lot of broccoli in and of itself when you've got a real challenge in some of these enzymatic imbalances. So I do use two a day, I think. Exactly. Yeah. I, I talk on the scale of wheelbarrow loads uh, <laughs> it, with some of these whole foods, you know, because people will ask me, 
why can't I just eat fish to get my fish oil? Why can't I just eat broccoli? And a lot of times it comes down to therapeutic dosage. And we know that if you're getting an extract that's pure, that's derived from these plants, we can actually see changes in the downstream metabolites and which ones are formed to bring about better health. And yes, we want people doing rosemary and and hops. And uh, it was about that time that the guys say, does that mean I get to drink more beer? (laughs) It has to be a lot of beer. There's all of these botanicals that have been isolated and, and found to have key enzymatic roles, either making an enzyme run faster or slowing it down that can help with the basic lifestyle stuff that we've been chatting about this morning. So, so fluorophane's a win in your perspective that sometimes Absolutely. called SGS, SGS, so fluorophane glucosinolate, SGS. And yes. do you use that with diendomethane or DIM as well? Yes. Like you combine the two? Yes, we will, we will combine the two often. And whether it's this methane or other chemicals that have similar effects, the idea is to promote and try to influence the way that they're metabolizing these things. Absolutely. You know, on that same topic, Bob, with botanicals and testosterone, my favorites to augment lifestyle change have been ashwagandha. Mm-hmm. We, we like to call that Ayurvedic ginseng. It's an adaptogenic mm-hmm. herb that is used for so many things. But there's some pretty good science on it, not only improving semen parameters, but also testosterone levels, along with a couple of other of my favorites, uh, one being macuna, which is a root. Yep. And, and another one is called black seed, nigella cumin, seed. Black cumin. Black cumin seed. We use that a lot for folks that have autoimmune Hashimoto's thyroiditis, along with ashwagandha. There's some pretty good data on antibodies against the thyroid with both of those. And it just so happens that those are helpful at raising testosterone along with the macuna. And you know, there's various platforms where you can get these, but some of the things that we initially thought with terrestrius, tribulus, and, and, tribulus, and things like yep. this, maca, haven't been as robust at helping with testosterone production, although some swear it works. They're a little bit better probably for uh, sperm parameters and quality of semen. You know, maca has been shown, there's many different colors of that. There's red, yellow, black. The yellow and black are great for improved fertility and subfertility sperm with guys. Haven't been shown to do a whole lot though for testosterone levels. Uh, A lot of people tout maca as helpful for uh, enlarged prostates. And really the only data on that is in rats. I don't have any human data. Uh, where Mark is really also helpful, though, is just general vigor and moods and all of those things it's been known for. Well, I have a feeling that you and I could talk for a couple more hours. I would love to. <laughs> Which, uh, maybe we should do that. I, I think we're going to have to have you come back and continue this conversation. But what, what you've told us today is that there are a lot more possibilities for dealing with potential hormone problems than most people would think, right? Most people would think, yeah, it's a basic thing, simple thing, your hormone level's low, you check the level and you replace it. So you're saying, well, me may do that. 
you may do that, but there's a lot more to it than that. It's uh, So you've opened a lot of doors and windows for us, and uh, I, I greatly appreciate your time. My pleasure, Bob. Yeah, that's, you know, everyone always says, well, do you write prescriptions for hormones? Absolutely. Uh, it just It just takes me a little longer to get there because I'm trying to avoid once we start that often, it's, it's, uh, it's a long-term deal. So if people want to follow your work, your research, you know, get into your practice, what's the best way for them to check in with you? Yeah, probably the best way would just be to uh, search the functional medicine of Idaho. Mm -hmm. And that's, it's, it's a www. I think it's actually fun med Idaho, which is, which is, which is really the reason I took the job. I just liked their email. Um, <laughs> and and um, yeah, you'll, you'll see our website if you Google search Functional Medicine of Idaho and you'll see all of us there and, and all of our bios and all of that stuff. Wonderful. Well, I don't think this will be the last time our listeners hear from you. I would enjoy talking more. I have really enjoyed my time. Thank you. Terrific. Well, thank you all for listening. And uh, until next time. Thanks for listening to the Thorn Podcast. Make sure to never miss an episode by subscribing to the show on your podcast app of choice. If you've got a health or wellness question you'd like answered, simply follow our Instagram and shoot a message to at Thorn Health. You can also learn more about the topics we discussed by visiting thorn.com and checking out the latest news, videos, and stories on Thorne's Take 5 daily blog. Once again, thanks for tuning in, and don't forget to join us next time for another episode of the Thorne Podcast.